Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Thank you, worship team. If there are strongholds here today, will you agree with those words? God wants to break those strongholds. It's who He is. That's, that's what he does. So we're continuing in Matthew 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. If you're joining us for the first time presently or online, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for, for several weeks, digging into the words of Jesus, seeking to understand how to live in relationship with him as followers of Jesus in this life. So I want you to imagine for a moment, it's Monday, okay? It's Monday, you're waking up out of bed, And you get a text message sitting there on your phone. It's been waiting for you for about three hours. And you read this message, and the person that you spent your whole Saturday and Sunday with says, her whole family's sick. Stomach bug. And then there's the emoji that goes with that. Sorry. So, you know, your whole family and their whole family were just together all day yesterday. They were swapping drinks and hugs and just everything. And you're just like, well, you, just, you get up. And it's like, what can, what can I do? Anyway, so you get out of bed and you go to the refrigerator. You go to the kitchen. You're going to make your coffee. And the refrigerator door is open. It's been open all night long. You reach in. You feel the milk. Rats. It's warm. It's just, it's a total loss, right? It's just a total loss. So you think, oh, here's this big mess now to clean up. So you start cleaning it up and, 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 and people in your house are fixing to get out of bed. Thunder, it's thundering and lightning outside. And so boom, boom, boom. Here goes the thunder and lightning and the power goes out. My word. So now where's the flashlight? You're looking for the flashlight. You're turning on your phone. You're trying to find the big flashlight. 45 minutes later, you've concluded we're going to all go to town and we're going to get breakfast. And so everybody's loaded up. It's kind of cranky. Everybody's been getting ready in the dark. It's been a wild morning already. You get in the vehicle. You turn the switch. And you just kind of, I mean, could it get it? Do you feel anxious? Is anybody concerned? You know, are you worried? And it's just, you know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those mornings. And then you wake up and you realize it's just a bad dream, but you kind of find yourself a little hesitant to read your phone, right? And maybe you hesitate for a moment instead of looking at your phone, you just find yourself saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. We understand that we live in a broken world and things go wrong and it's just sometimes they all happen at once and it's really difficult, maybe to say the least, right? And so today, Jesus is speaking into worry. He's speaking into stress. He's speaking into anxiety. And it's, it fascinates me that he spends so much time in today's text speaking about how to respond when we feel this way, because we've all felt it. We've probably all given into it at some point and been dominated by it. And he, that's not his will. That's not what he wants. And I want you to think of this. If anyone has ever been familiar with worry and stress and anxiety, it's the audience that is hearing Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount for the first time. We've read about them at the end of Matthew 4, but if your whole life is being characterized by a, a, a physical disability, by sickness and disease and demonic possession, that's a pretty 
stressful life, wouldn't you agree? And, and, then, and then it all changed whenever they met Jesus. But they're still being governed by Roman authority. It's still normal before and after the Sermon on the Mount to walk from city to city and to see people suffering and dying on a cross. That would play with your mind, wouldn't it? To have those images in your mind your whole life. Well, that was pretty normal. So if anybody had a reason to be stressed, it was the audience that sat at the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Jesus begins to speak, we're, we're reminded that he's telling them the kingdom of heaven is here. So we're reminded of this little illustration. The kingdom of heaven has come and is here on earth because Jesus is doing the will of his heavenly father. And he's reminding them at this time and us today that when we live in the will of our heavenly father, when that's our biggest priority, then the kingdom of heaven is here and now in your life and in my life and in your home and in our church and in our community. Wherever we go to do his will, heaven comes to earth. And so that's encouraging. It's inviting. And so when you think about Jesus, do you ever see Jesus as a worried man? Do you ever see Jesus just, you know, just maybe with a little stress ball biting on his nails, just kind of fidgety and wondering what am I, what's, what's about to happen? And this is the Jesus, of course, that knows he's the lamb of Isaiah 53. And by the end of all this, he's going to be led to the slaughter and he's not worried a bit about it. So that's, 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 that's encouraging to us because he's inviting us to live that way even whenever the worst is still ahead and he knows about it. So maybe let's start off this morning by saying at least two things that we're all familiar with about worry and anxiety. Proverbs 12 tells us that worry is weighty. It's like a heavy burden. In the New King James, Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. In the ESV says, it says it this way, it weighs a man down. It's weighty. And none of us are meant to carry this heavy weight in the kingdom of heaven in our Father's will. Secondly, we could all agree that worry is exhausting. When you've spent your whole day or whole afternoon just anxious about something, it's got the best of you, you feel like you've been in a war. You just want rest. You just want, the last thing you want is to be kept up all night. You just want rest. Well, there's a reason we're familiar with this quote. She is worrying herself sick over this. He is worried to death about what might happen. Worry and anxiety is often rooted in some unknown. It's those what ifs that haven't even happened yet, but they could happen. And so this unknown, unhappened future is now playing into my present and it's trying to take over the way that I think and the way that I feel. And so it's exhausting and we need rest and we need someone to take the burden. So let me then say this. The Jesus that's about to speak to us in Matthew 6 is also the Jesus that said this in Matthew 11. And Matthew wanted us to make sure we understood. And so hear him again saying, come to me. All of you who labor and you're heavy laden. You have felt the weight of anxiety. Bring it to me, says Jesus. He's not trying to intimidate us today, and he's not trying to make us feel like big failures. He says, I know you're exhausted. I know you need rest. I want to give you rest. That's who he is. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's the heart of a disciple. 
A, a follower of Jesus isn't somebody that wakes up every day and gets it all right and gets it all perfect. It's, a, it's someone who wakes up and says, Lord, I'm here to learn from you. I want your will to be done. Lead me, guide me, shepherd me. And Jesus says, good, because I'm gentle, lowly in heart. And here's the promise. You'll find rest. You'll be relieved of the anxiety, the stress, and the worry that's dominating your life. This is good news for all of us. And so it's an invitation, and I'd want to remind you um, of just a time, and I think this was about 2003 or four for me personally, my good buddy Bo up at App State, he asked me to take him fly fishing and to teach him, and so we go to this river called the Elk River, and this is a picture of the Elk River outside of Boone, and we spend the whole morning fly fishing, and guess who catches nothing? This guy right here catches nothing, and so I just feel the weight of the world, like here's my buddy Bo, he's like, teach me, and I can't teach him to catch fish because I can't catch fish, and so I'm sitting there at the river. And we're sitting down, it's kind of, you know, it's getting close to noon. You feel kind of frustrated. Josh Stevens and Josh Lane have never felt this, by the way, when it comes to fishing. But I felt it. And so I'm sitting there, and then this, uh, there's this man that's standing there. Uh, he came out of nowhere. He pulled up, and he's standing there, and he's, he's looking at the river. And he looks, he comes over to us, and he said, do y'all see that? And we're like, what, see, see what? And he, this is what he does. He takes off these incredible inventions that I did not know existed, and it's called polarized sunglasses. And he says, here, here, put these on and look right there. And so I, you know, I put them on. I'm like, what am I looking for? And he said, just watch for the sun to reflect. And before my eyes, there are trout everywhere. I'm looking through a set of lenses that I did not know existed. These glasses have taken the glare off the water. I'd have bet you $100 that there are no fish in that hole. We just fished it for 45 minutes and we changed our lures like three times. There cannot be fish in that hole. And then I realized through another set of lenses, what I was discouraged and feeling anxious about there's something now there. I see it. And so there's this new joy that comes up within me. I'm like, Bo, we're about to catch fish because I got like nine, 900 more lures to put on and they're going to bite something because they're there. I know something is there that I now didn't believe it was. And this is what Jesus is saying to us today. He's inviting all of us to look through a set of lenses to look at his words and not say, ah, it's maybe for him and her, they're always happy, but that's not for me. He's inviting us to put on a set of lenses and to see life on earth in a way that we've never seen it before. And I realize this isn't a struggle for everybody. And so we want to be equipped on how to help people. And we, we just, we want to grow in this area as a church. So if you can and you're able, please stand with me in reverence and in honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. We're going to pick up in the red letters in Matthew 6. And we'll start where uh, Ethan left off last week because Jesus connects these two things. It's in verse 24. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, wealth, money. So Jesus then says, therefore, because of that statement, he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life 
as it relates to those things. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Let's pray. Father, as we just pause this morning to soak in the words of Jesus, free the one who is held captive. Break the chains of bondage by any and all of us that are knowingly or unknowingly held captive by anxiety, worry, and all the depression and the fear and the stress that come with it. We ask that you would open our eyes, give us the lens to see what Jesus meant when he spoke. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to approach this, of course, knowing this is a real struggle. And, and as we move through this and we grab hold of Jesus' words and we make hopefully some profound, heart-captivating statements, I want you to know that in no way do I want to communicate that what you have went through today, last week, this morning, or, or in any time in your life is nothing that's taken lightly. It's, so, it's not anything that we would look down upon or be little. I just want to affirm with the authority of Scripture and agree with Jesus and all together, let's go after it. Amen? And so Jesus now speaks in verse 25 about what you may call survival mode. What God created us to need food and water and to need clothes to stay warm and stay covered. But if I live my life each and every week in this survival mode, as long as I can just get by, if I can just make it to the weekend, I'll be fine. If I can just get my children raised, all will be okay. If we can just get to the end of the month and get to the next paycheck, we'll be fine. That's, that's surviving. That's not thriving. And Jesus says, when it comes to those things that are your physical needs, that's, I've called you to more than that. I've called you to a greater life, a kingdom life. More than that, a life that's serving the master, the God who loves you and gave himself for you. So here's what we want to do. If we were to ask what helps us to now see into what Jesus is talking about, because Jesus makes a statement in verse 25, and then he's going to argue his point. Argue is not the best word, but he's going to vouch for his point in verses 26 through 34. And so I think for a second we can pause and say, okay, when was the first time man ever needed food? And when was the first time that man ever needed clothes? Has God always been this way? It's seeing the consistency of God's character that builds our faith in who he is. And so if we were to go back to the garden for just a moment in your mind and see God breathing into Adam a living soul. He gives him the breath of life. And when Adam comes up out of the ground, what does he need? He needs food. Why does he need food? Because God made him to be hungry. God made us to need food. And then the Bible then tells us that God took Adam to a garden, a garden in which Adam did not plant, but God himself planted on the east side of Eden. And in Genesis 2, then the Bible says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Now let's think about this for a second. 
First of all, notice the capital L-O-R-D. Genesis 1 only uses the word God, Elohim. But in Genesis 2, we have this continuous, repetitious identification of who God is, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, or Jehovah Elohim. And so God's name means the self-existent one. In other words, the God who has always existed and yet has never had needs. Follow me here, okay? Follow me right here. The God who didn't need food before food was ever invented because he made it. The God who didn't need clothes and didn't need comfort because he always has been. So it's important for us to see God has never had needs, yet he chose to create man with needs. And when God takes the man to the garden, he says, tend it and keep it. This is, a, this is another, I think, really valuable point that connects to what Jesus is saying the garden wasn't just a place for food. The garden, Adam, you're hungry? Go eat. God didn't set up a hammock and lay Adam in the hammock and then feed him grapes all day. God said, I've, I've, I've planted a garden. Here's a garden. Work it, till it, raise it, and then eat from it. So the garden wasn't just about food. It was also about obedience. It was also about giving man purpose. It was also uh, uh, for Adam to learn to trust God in the small things and to wake up every day and say, God gave me something to do. It's more than just eating. It's trusting that God has a purpose for my life and this is what God said to do, so I'm gonna go do it. So when Adam ate and when you and I eat of the fruit of, of fruits and vegetables, we're to say, wow, God put taste in this. What an awesome God. God give flavor to this. God didn't just give me dried up prunes. God gave me uh, sweets and he gave me good things to eat so that I would say, wow, God, you're good. What, a, what an awesome life I get to live to serve such a good God. The food is meant to remind us of him rather than food just being what we need to survive. And so that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, let's continue for just a second because Jesus also spoke about clothing. So a little while later in Genesis 2, Adam gets, of course, who? A helpmate. He gets a wife. He gets someone to share life with and to share this good food with. And then he has a wedding and it's awesome. But we know what happens in Genesis 3. We talk about it often. The other master comes into the scene. They fall into uh, his strategy. They sin. And so again, watch this. Just like God took responsibility for the needs he put into Adam and God made a garden, God took responsibility for Adam and Eve even when they messed up and served the wrong master. That's meant to relieve us of our worries. When God told the serpent, I'm going to crush your head, somebody's going to crush your head and defeat you, that was God taking responsibility for something God had never done. But certainly sin gives us much to worry about, right? And by the end of chapter 3, now we have clothing coming into the picture. What's Adam and Eve wearing at this point? Them good old comfortable fig leaves, right? So Adam and Eve are wearing fig leaves as clothing because they're trying to cover up their sin, their nakedness, and their shame. And the Bible tells us, familiar verse, I love this verse, I talk about it often, that for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, made tunics of skin and 
clothed them. God took responsibility for their nakedness. God took responsibility for the discomfort of their fig leaves. He didn't want the rest of their lives to be characterized by the fig leaves that reminded them of their disobedience and their lack of doing God's will on earth. And so he covered them. What did Christ do for us? In the name of Jesus, he covers us. He clothes us with his righteousness. He covers us and he calls us to a life that's more than just what you eat and drink and more than just what you wear. And every day is meant to be a reminder. So I want you now with that in perspective, now let's, let's build upon what Jesus said because God has always been this way, taking responsibility for his children and to relieve us of the temptation of worry and stress and anxiety. So Jesus now says in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds. So we're back to the eyes again. Put on the good eye that Ethan preached about last week. Lay down the bad eye and look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't plant gardens, nor do they gather in barns. They don't have ingles. They don't have Walmart. They don't have online ordering, and they don't have a pantry full of canned goods. They don't sow nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What's Jesus telling us here? Jesus is telling us that one of the problems for why people hang on to, the, to anxiety and stress is because they have a false view of their self-worth. He's saying, put on the polarized glasses and I want you to see yourself the way your heavenly father sees you. If you're here today and you're struggling, when you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you just, you just, you, you have this bad thought about your image, you don't like yourself, you look down upon yourself, you think of yourself as a letdown and a failure and worthless, let it change today. Leave it here today because your heavenly father said that you are much more valuable than those kind of thoughts. They're not from him. And so here's Jesus saying, I want you to now look at the birds. Look at the birds. And, 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 and when you see the birds, I want you to tell, tell yourself that worry is irrational. Because of what you see in the birds, I want you to know that worry is an unreasonable, irrational, not from heaven way of thinking. And he says, change your mind. Change the way that you think because this doesn't line up with how God feels about you. And so what does he tell us? He says, first of all, the birds are an animal that can be seen anywhere in the world. You know, if he'd picked a giraffe, how many of us walk outside every day and see a giraffe, right? If he'd picked an elephant, we don't see elephants, but he picked an animal that can be seen anytime in the world. And if I asked you for just a moment to think about a bird, I'm willing to bet that none of you thought about a crow. Crows are just ugly birds, aren't they? And, and they don't make pretty noises either. They just, gah, gah, right? But I, I'm willing to bet that if, if I said, think about a bird, that you thought about a bird with color. You might have thought about a cardinal or a blue jay or my two favorites, a little hummingbird and a, one of those purplish blue indigo bunnies. So whatever bird you thought about, you see a bird and birds are beautiful. They're just radiating with color. And, and when you get up in the mornings, sometimes you know there's birds all around your house, not because you see them, but because you hear them. Now think about what he's saying here. 
Those birds aren't sitting out on tree limbs with their beaks wide open and just worms are falling from heaven. But Jesus said, your heavenly father feeds them. So they still have a work to do. They still have a purpose. They're going out and they're scratching and they're getting, they're getting what they need. But those birds are singing. Worried birds don't sing. Those birds are praising God and they're doing just what God told them to. And they're sending a message to all of our ears that says, God fed me. Oh, you are way more valuable than I am. He'll feed you. Don't worry about it. Whatever is creating anxiety in your life, whatever is creating stress in your life, the birds are telling us, God wants to give you a song. God wants to give you a reason to sing. And so look to him the way that the birds do. And so here's something else that Jesus is telling us. The name of God all throughout the scripture is this right here. Yahweh Roha, the Lord my shepherd. This is his name throughout the Old Testament. What does it mean? A shepherd leads his sheep to the green grass and still water, but they have to trust him. Because when the shepherd gets up with the sheep in the mornings, they don't know where they're going, or the sheep doesn't know where the shepherd's taking them. And so the birds have to trust God before they sing to God. And so we are a people who are invited to trust God and to say, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be worried because my heavenly father has a name and his name is Yahweh Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd. I don't know where he's taking me, but I'm not going to be anxious about the unknown. I don't know how he's going to provide for me, but I'm not going to worry about the provision. I just know it's his job to take responsibility for my life and give me what I physically need so that I can do what he spiritually called me to do. That's who he is. That's the confidence that you and I have. And so now let's go on to verse 27. Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now those are kind of funny words, but Jesus is saying, which of you by worrying can lengthen your life? Which of you by worrying can add a day, a week, a month, or a year to the lifespan in which you live? Let's Soak this in for a second. Jesus is telling us that the problem a lot of people have with anxiety, the reason that you and I are prone to live worried every day is by trying to control something that's out of our control. Stay with me. Stay with me. Trying to control something that's out of our control. It's often an unknown future. It's often a circumstance where you and I just don't have the wisdom and knowledge to fix it. He's saying, look, if you worry about something that you can't control, you got to understand this is an ineffective life. Worry is ineffective. Just like you can't add length of days to your life, worry will never have any effect on the will that God wants to have in and through your life. And so we stop and think for a second. You ever met one of those people that live till late in their 90s? And they're just still waking up every day and just getting with it. You know, you've seen them on the news, maybe getting interviewed. And there's always these questions. These are such good questions. Sir, how did you live to be 100? And they say, I I ate an apple a day. Or maybe, you know, an onion a day. I've met a few of those before or whatever. And, 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 and we admire those people because it's okay for us to all want to know 
what did you put in your body to live that long? Because I don't want to put stuff in my body. It's going to take me out at 60, right? And so that's, that's okay. And so, uh, but a lot of people, and I think these are such good things, so just stay with me here. Eating healthy is a good thing. It makes sense that if you eat healthy, you're going to live longer. If you put good vitamins and minerals in your body, if you exercise or lift weights and keep your body in shape, if you put things um, on your body that are chemical-free, it's going to take care of your body. I I recommend Kendall and Kelly's soap. They have great soap. It's chemical-free. I just think it's incredible. Don't buy that junk. Buy from Kendall and Kelly. It's great. But here's the reality. A lot of people are doing those things to try to prolong their life. And anytime something new, some new little tidbit of information comes out on the news or comes out on Google or comes out on WebMD and they realize, oh no, I haven't been doing that, they freak out with worry and with anxiety. So Jesus is trying to tell us here, look, do those things if you want to. I think they're great things. We try to do those things. Not because you're trying to control something that's out of your control, but but because you're trying to live a full life, not so much a long life. Jim Elliott said, it's not a long life I desire, but a full life like you, Lord Jesus. Because if we do that, and the same is true for trying to save money so that whenever I retire, I'm going, to, I'm going to penny pinch every bit that I can. I think saving's a wonderful thing. It's a wise thing. We did a sermon series on that. But if I'm doing it so that whenever I retire, I'll have so much saved up that I can just go and do whatever I want to. God's saying, uh-uh. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. That's going to be very ineffective. You're, going to, you're trying to promise yourself days that you can't see. It's out of your control. And so what do we do when we feel tempted like this? We say, Lord, your name is Adonai. Your name is Adonai. You're the Lord over all. You're the supreme sovereign God. You're the king above kings, the Lord above lords, and the master above masters. Every day that I live is in your hands. And, God, and the story of Adonai, when God reveals himself throughout all of scripture, it's God's way of saying, look, I'm ultimately in control. There's not a hair that falls from your head that doesn't pass through his hands. So don't worry about it. Don't try to, don't become consumed with doing this and this and this to try to control every detail of your life because your great, great grandparents suffered from some disease. It's good and wise to take care of yourself, but it's to serve him and to live a full life, not necessarily a long life. So worry is ineffective, but Adonijah gives us great encouragement. So now let's do this. Jesus goes on and says, so why do you worry? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I I, I actually don't worry about any of those things. I'm cool with it. And Jesus says, why do you worry about clothing? I don't worry about clothing. You worry about clothing. He says, some people worry about clothing. Why do you worry? And he says this, if you're battling worry, He says, look at the lilies. Consider the lilies. We go from birds to lilies now. The lilies of the field and how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, which means they don't work to spin and sew and knit their own clothing. It's like, okay. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, the wisest to ever live, one of the wealthiest and one of the famous to ever live in all of his glory, was not clothed was not arrayed like one of these lilies. 
And he says, now, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, it's a great fire starter once it dries out to do your cooking, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Grab hold of those last five words and let's ask, what is Jesus revealing? What is Jesus saying that sometimes is a problem for how you and I can be tempted to worry and, and stress in this life. And what he's saying is this, it's, it's, it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust. It's me trying to live my life to do my own will. It's me never stopping to pray. It's me making quick decisions for my family or with my finances without going to the throne room about it and waiting for heaven to reveal. It's me making decisions without him. It's me questioning his goodness. It's me looking back on something bad and saying, God, why did you allow that to happen? How can you be so good and love and allow that to, back, to happen? And so here's what Jesus is really trying to help us to see. Worry is an insult on his character. Soak this in with me for just a moment. God will not break his promises. He will not change his character. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He will not go against his ways. He remains faithful even when we're faithless. And he says, look, if you trust in yourself... That's a result of being anxious and trying to take control of something you can't control. And he's telling us, look, repent quickly. Worry and anxiety is like a false prophet. It will tell you the most believable statements and God's saying it's a lie. Because the moment it's trying to get you to question his character, you can know it's not from him. The moment it's, it's the thoughts that are running through your mind are tempting you to just distrust God and say, I can do this myself. That's not from him. That's me, that would be me stepping into earth on earth and stepping out of heaven on earth. And he's saying, oh, you have little faith. He's saying, I want you to trust me. And he's saying, he's saying here's one of the reasons why you can trust me. The name of God throughout the scriptures is this. El Amen. It's God's revelation to mankind that He's the faithful God. He is faithful even when we're faithless. Even when we sin like Adam and Eve in the garden did, God didn't walk away. He come walking in. God didn't say, I'm done with you. He came asking questions. He said, I'm still here. And God made a promise that day and He kept it through Jesus Christ, His Son. He's a faithful and good God. Deuteronomy 7 says this, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is who he is. And this is why whenever we close in prayer, we say the word, amen. When we get done praying and bringing our requests and supplications to God, we know to say amen. That word amen means I agree with you, God. So be it, God. I agree with who you are. I agree with what you want to do. Amen and amen because your name is El Amen, the faithful God. And so whatever your will is, that's what I want more than anything. And he frees us.
from being faithless and worrying. The final section that Jesus gets to here is in verse 31. And he says, therefore, because of all that he has now said, he says it again. Say those three words in black with me. Do not worry. The son of the living God is calling us to a worry, anxious, free life. And he says, don't say things like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to do? How's this going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. Don't get caught up in those questions of the unknown. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. And Jesus is looking and he's characterizing this is how unbelievers live. This is how people live that he wants us to reach, not blend in with. And he says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. These are words of comfort. These are words that are inviting us in to be captivated. And so I want to think again, what's the problem he's saying here? What is the reason Jesus is now saying that we can hang on to worry and stress? And he looks to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are characterized with a me first kind of living. The world teaches us to say things like, you deserve that. It's, you need to, you need to, Find ways to pleasure yourself. You've earned it. You deserve it. Whereas, in fact, Jesus actually says, I want you to die to yourself and find purpose in serving other people for his kingdom. Because if you get caught up serving yourself, you'll go eyeballs deep in debt and you'll have more worry and more anxiety than you've ever, than you've ever had before. And I think one of the people that we can think about here is Hollywood. Will you agree with me? That if, if beauty is defined by what's on the front cover of a magazine, that's the Gentile, that's the worldly point of view, then Hollywood has beauty. People that are in Hollywood, they look the best. They, they have the best features. Let's just say features, right? They, a lot of times it's fake. They have the best hair, the best teeth, the best eyes. They have the most money. They're famous everywhere they go. They're adored. They have all the things that the serpent wants us to try to go after in order to be happy. They have all those things, and yet the people in Hollywood are what? Miserable, anxious, worried, addicted, going through divorces every two years, and never, ever happy. And that's the life that Jesus, or that the, the enemy wants us to go after, that Jesus wants, us, wants to free us from. What are we going to do? They can go anywhere. Or what am I going to build next? They can build anything. And look, I think he's telling us really clearly here that these are questions that our children ask all the time. Where are we going to go? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Because they, they, want, they want to be happy. Our children are created with the capacity to have fun and be happy. But if we as parents cater to them and give them everything that they want, think about what will happen. We'll raise them to be like Hollywood will raise them to be the most miserable, discontent children or young adults ever. And they'll live with a me first, I deserve this, give it to me attitude. And the worry and the stress that comes with that lifestyle just goes through the roof. And then one day they will be worried because they can't keep up with that life. And so we're free from Googling everything when we have a problem. We are free from looking up all of our problems on WebMD and reading the worst stories and saying, oh no, I mean, I'm going to die in two hours. 
He frees us. He says, the Father knows what you need. And so he says, worry is inconsistent with kingdom living. Worry doesn't line up with how your heavenly Father has called us to live. Because his name, and you know this, is Jehovah Jireh. How, why is his name Jehovah Jireh? Because he knows what we need, and he's able to provide what we need, and he knows the timing of when it's best to give us what we need, and sometimes the best thing he can provide is a no. Sometimes the most loving thing Jehovah Jireh does for his children, he says, no, not now, but later. And then when later comes and we trusted him, it's we sing like that bird. We sing, I, I, I tell Jenny this all the time, man, if I'd have met you when I was 21, I'd have fell madly in love with you, but I'd have been the worst person you could have ever dated. It wasn't time. God had a lot of work to do. He's still got a lot of work to do, but just we're a work in process, but we want to trust that God knows and God can provide and God will provide in his time and in his way. So he says, Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Living in a right standing with him. All these things. My goodness. Circle that if you like to write in your Bible. Some of these things. Oh, All of these things will be added to you because your father takes responsibility for you and me. You know, I, I think it's, I want to pause here. I think it's awesome that two years ago, we prayed that God would fully supply the funds needed for a life center that we know he told us to start building and praying for. You remember that? It was on the 2021 prayer magnet. Well, as of right now, I mean, we're looking pretty good, but there could be a shortfall. There could be more funds that's needed to complete it in an ever-changing economy. And I'll stop and think, did God not answer our prayer? And I'll just stop and think for just a second. You know what? God went way out of the way. He provided from a, from a, a Brewer Phillips scholarship fund that, that was just there waiting. He provided through someone's gift of land. And they gave us that land through a relationship that they had with someone here. And in six months to a year, God sold that land and, and contributed over $130,000 to the Life Center. And so many of you have given towards that. And so you know, we're, we're right there. And so we've paused and think, did you not provide, Lord? And then on these Saturdays and throughout the week, there's men, there's, there's men and women and children showing up to work. And you just think for a second. The value that you have for God's provision when you have some blood and sweat and tears into it. The value that you have when you go home a little worn out because you gave two, three, or four hours on Saturday morning or during the week towards what God has provided because he knows that we need because we're out of room. And I just think, you're answering that prayer. You're letting us participate in the building of what you told us we needed in order to continue to do the work you want us to do. And relationships are being built and memories are being made. And you're, just, you're letting us be a part of it together. That's provision. And that's awesome. So he says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. There's sufficient. There's enough evil in today, There's, today has its own troubles. Don't, don't try to live tomorrow in your today. And so I want to close by just simply saying, how did he train his disciples to think this way? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells us 
that when Jesus sent the disciples out in two by two, what did, what, what did he say to take? Don't take any money because you're not going to buy anything. What, what do you, I mean, what do you mean? We need money. We all, we all need money. Oh, no, actually, don't take any extra clothes. Just wear what you got on. All right? I mean, I get kind of smelly, you know. No, 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 well, let's everybody pack some food. No, 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 no. Jesus said, don't take any food. I'm sending you out with no food, with no extra clothes, with no, and with no money belt. Why, Jesus? Because you're going to learn to trust in me. You're going to go out and you're going to preach the kingdom of heaven is here and it's now. But you're going to be completely reliant upon my heavenly father and not yourself and not your abilities. And, and the gospel of Mark, I think, says it best. When those apostles return to Jesus, they told him all the things that had happened. What they had done and what they had taught. What did they tell him? Jesus, you, we were worried sick. And then we got out there walking by faith, and so-and-so wouldn't let us in their house. But we preached the kingdom over here in this village, and man, we, just everybody wanted to give us food. Everybody wanted to provide somewhere for us to stay. Everybody wanted to give us an extra change of clothes because we stayed. Now, what are they saying? They're saying, Jesus, it really was awesome to live worry-free and to walk by faith and to be a part of heaven coming to earth. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom now and the discernment by the power of your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit to live this way. We know we're going to be tempted today and tomorrow and the next day to be anxious. When our children get sick, when something goes wrong at work and we're tempted at work and at school to just take over and just run everybody through the ringers, Lord, help us to see how badly everyone around us is affected when we worry and we're anxious. And if we just stop and trust you, Lord, give us the wisdom in those moments to just stop and trust you, to look to you and say, the people in my life need more of Jesus and less of my anxiety and the things that I say and do when I feel anxious. Lord, only you can do that. Let us not live with the what if mentality. Let us live with the even if mentality. Even if it don't change and even if it don't get better right now, Lord, I still trust you. And let us see heaven come to earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.